Changing the world of work isn't about tactics. It's not about meetings or metrics. It isn't about the benefits, perks, or opportunities. It's about being brave enough to put love first. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So as leaders, we're the ones who have to make it happen. This is the Love in Action Podcast. And here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome, Love in Action Nation, and now the world. If you're listening from places like Ireland, New Zealand, and Iraq, glad you're now part of this conversation. So if you're new to the show, here's the whole reason why we exist. We're firm believers, and research is going to back us up on this, that love in action is the new competitive advantage as leaders in whatever company or industry you're in. So that's why we have these amazing conversations with the world's top influencers and executives and psychologists to discover what we need to do to create change so people are engaged, motivated, and inspired to high performance. And love as a verb, agape love, this is the kind of love that lifts people up, that serves them well, and leads to results. And this is why we call it the new competitive advantage. So now my guest today is anything but shy about using the word love in a business context. And that is Terry Turner, president and CEO of Pinnacle Financial Partners. Now, I first interviewed Terry on my Inc.com column, and I asked him point blank a question that I know only a handful of CEOs will probably want to answer. I said, Terry, what are some top love habits displayed in the Pinnacle culture? And that article took off. I mean, people loved it. So I brought Terry back to talk about how love in action works at Pinnacle and what makes his company culture one of the best in the business. So Terry has grown his banking and investment services firm to nearly $25 billion in assets. Pinnacle currently ranks number 22 on Fortune Magazine's 100 Best Companies to Work For list. And additionally, You know, Pinnacle employees rarely quit. They have a 91% employee retention rate, which is unheard of in the financial services industry. Now, as you listen, you'll notice the momentum building with each question as we really dig into the concepts of love in action in a company, mind you, in the banking industry. You're going to be surprised by how love flows at Pinnacle. So let's dive in. Here's my conversation with Terry Turner. So it's great to finally sit down with you, uh, Terry, and uh, get to talk human to human. And here we are. So without further ado here, Terry, welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you, Marcel. Appreciate it. So before I give our listeners kind of a background of uh, how you and I got here, uh, I always like to start with a kind of a personal question. Basically, that is what makes you smile nowadays when you get up in the morning? (laughs) Well, that's a great question. Uh, You know, uh, there's been a lot of work done by Gallup folks on StrengthsFinder. You're familiar with that, I'm sure. And uh, one of my top five strengths is positivity. So uh, basically, I'm a positive person. I'm optimistic. I I do see the world in terms of what the opportunities are more than what the risks are. I've got a great partner that uh, worked with for many years and he and I make a great uh, balance and it's so funny because we talk about that idea of uh, optimism and so forth. He always says he's a realist 
And I just remind him, Rob, that's what all the pessimists say, you know, that they're realists. But I'm positive. So anyway, I'm excited about a lot of uh, things for as it relates to Pinnacle. I love where we're positioned. Man, we're in fabulous markets. I think you look at the markets that we're in scattered across the southeast. We're in virtually all the large high growth markets and um, we're well positioned competitively. Our company is, is aimed at competing with the large national regional franchises. And so uh, we find that they have lots of clients and honestly, lots of vulnerability. And so that's a great uh, position to be in that's uh, fueled our financial growth. Again, I'm, uh, I'm just excited literally every day to get up here and keep swinging. Awesome. So a few weeks ago, I, uh, I get approached by a lot of PR companies and, you know, they're wanting me to interview their, their executives and authors, et cetera. And uh, I'm now I'm in the middle of uh, researching for my book, which coincidentally enough is also the title. It's the same title. It's Love in Action. And so what I did is I uh, went to these PR companies and I said, hey, if you have any clients that lead by this model that I call Love in Action, and I explain to them what that is, right, the caring uh, behaviors and treating your employees with with kindness and uh, providing well-being for them, et cetera. And I said, if you come across executives and CEOs that lead by this model, send them my way because I want to interview them. So the funny thing is that uh, for a couple of weeks, I got nothing but crickets, right? And I'm thinking, oh man, just as I, as I imagined, uh, these are far and few. And, uh, and all of a sudden, they, they came trickling in and one of those people was Terry Turner. So I want to pick up from there. And we had a great interview that was uh, published on Inc.com on my column. So I wanted to kind of uh, continue the conversation a little bit from there. And I asked you on Inc., um, what are some top love habits? And when we say love, Terry, because it's so often misconstrued, it's soft and fuzzy, and people go to all kinds of, <laughs> all kinds of uh, places that doesn't define a leadership love, which is the verb, it's action, right? And so I asked you about um, some of the practices that define the pinnacle culture, right? And you said, you told me that one of the practices is ownership, that pinnacle associates are treated like their owners. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, I think the concept is that you know, everybody wants to feel valued. Everybody wants to feel a part. Everybody wants to feel included. Everybody wants to feel like they're making a difference. I think I feel that way. I'm sure you do. Everybody I know feels that that way. And so that's really been an important uh, concept here. We decided at the outset that uh, we would give equity. This is a public company. And so we are able to give shares to all the associates uh, in this firm. And you know, we don't all get the same number, but everybody gets shares. We're all owners, and and so we all feel a part. And it it does uh, give people a sense of, hey, I'm in the game. I'm in this family. I'm part of this team. You know, and so got a person who runs our branch offices out in Wilson County, which is a metropolitan county here in Nashville. And he said, Terry, you know, uh, where I worked before, the mantra was think like an owner. He said, but it finally dawned on me, I didn't have any shares. He said, you know, here I've got shares, man. I turn the lights out when I leave. I care about this company and, you know, its success and all those kinds of things. And so, you know, when you're trying to pursue cultural things, a lot of people ask questions like, well, what's the one thing? And I'm thinking the one thing, I mean, it's a thousand things. There's, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things that are 
uh, involved in in getting the culture right and so forth. But I do think ownership uh, is really a powerful thing to make sure people feel like, hey, we're one big family here and we're all pulling in the same direction. Mm, I love that. So the other practice in play is getting Pinnacle Associates engaged. And there's that word engagement, right? Gallup has been hammering us over the head with with, uh, with the dismal employee engagement uh, numbers. Now, you said if they don't love what they do, they won't do it for very long. And if they do stick around, they won't be giving it their all. And Terry, the numbers speak for themselves. I'm going to just throw a few bullets at my listeners. 99% of Pinnacle Associates say they take great pride in their workplace. 97% say they have great bosses. 96% 96% say people care about each other. And then the big one, which is unheard of in the financial services industry, 91.5% retention rate. So other company CEOs are probably salivating right now as they're listening, wondering, well, how, how do we drive our own numbers up like that and engage our people? What do you tell them? Yeah, you know, as, as I just mentioned, it's not like one thing to do, but there, are, there, I think there are a handful of foundational pieces that are really important. And it really begins with who you hire, uh, and that's a function of where you're looking, where you're fishing, where you're trying to recruit people from, you know. And uh, we, we just established a philosophy here early on that we want to hire happy, successful people. I think I told you that one other time. Every time I say that, people roll their eyes like, you know, what a nonsense answer, you know, hire happy, successful people who's not trying to do that. But our belief is, hey, people that are circulating resumes, people that are coming in to fill out applications likely are unhappy or unsuccessful. That's not the ideal pool to to fish in in order to find happy, successful people. And so, you know, we'd use this uh, approach here of if we were to hire you, Marcel, we'd talk to you and say, hey, who do you know that shares our values here? Who do you know that's really good at what they do? Who have you seen be successful where you were? And use that as a mechanism to hire people so you're fishing for and catching happy, successful people. So I wouldn't underestimate the power of who it is you fill your company up with to begin with. That's an important aspect of it. I think we start early in the process, you know, once somebody's uh, signed a commitment, you know, they're, we're in touch with them several times before they show up because, you know, this, if you are hiring happy, successful people, they're going to be a little hesitant to leave their previous employer and their previous employer is going to probably try to talk them into staying. And so we're trying to stay in touch with them and reinforce why they've made this decision, why they want to come here, what's going to be good about being here. Before they ever show up, we get everybody here to onboard them literally the first day in this company. They come to our headquarters location, if you will, and uh, they have lunch with other people that are starting. They hear from me and other leaders in the firm. They have somebody walk them through uh, all the benefits so that they make intelligent choices about their benefits. They, you know, get their passwords and do all those kinds of things. And it's really a one-day session, half of one day and overnight and then half of another day. But, you know, when they come, we tell them, hey, look, what do you want for breakfast? We'll try to have something, you know, that you want for breakfast. Generally, after they've been here all day, we'll give them a gift card for a meal that night because that's a stressful uh, first day to start a new job, those kinds of things. So we focus early on that. Generally, within a month or two, we have everybody, every associate in this firm, whether they come in by way of acquisition or come in by us hiring them from somebody else, They'll go through a three-day orientation process where we'll take the time to do the heavy lifting to explain 
what our values are and why they are that, you know, where we're headed, what we're trying to achieve, what's the heritage and legacy of this firm, all those kinds of things to, you know, build some sense of understanding. I think I start every one of those sessions talking to people about the ox principle. And um, you're probably familiar with it, but basically the ox principle is you can measure the maximum pulling capacity of one ox by hooking it to a cart, loading it down till it can't pull anymore. You'd know the maximum pulling capacity. If you did that with two oxen, one had a thousand pound maximum pulling capacity, one had 1200 pound maximum pulling capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, you would assume that 2200 pounds is the maximum combined pulling capacity. But the truth is if you get them yoked, and moving in lockstep, they'll pull a lot more than that. And so that's sort of the basis of that orientation is to get everybody to understand where we're going and so they can all pull in the same direction. So uh, those are all important aspects. I might just give you one more that that seems important. We hold leaders accountable for engagement. And I think that's a little bit of an unusual concept. You know, engagement seems a little nebulous. How would you measure it? Am I really responsible for how engaged you are? those kinds of things, but we don't make any bones about it. We use a work environment uh, survey instrument that's typical. Uh, You've seen a number of them, they're all fairly similar, but what we hold our leaders accountable to do is produce 75% top box ratings, Hmm. uh, meaning to score a five out of a, on a scale of one to five, all these things that are uh, demonstrative of whether they've engaged an associate or not. And um, so, again, that idea is really important. If Has the company hired great people? Have they filled it up with good people? But as your leader, have I done the stuff? Have I done the things that will engage you? That's an important part of our approach. Okay. Can I follow up with, so what does a manager sometimes have to do when you say, you know, to get up to that 75% level can you give some examples of uh, maybe listeners that are struggling with managing people? What is it that uh, uh, appeals to the human emotion of, of employees at Pinnacle? Yeah, I think at Pinnacle and anywhere, really, Marcel, I think, you know, it, it, there's sort of three levels that associates uh, think on as it relates to how engaged they are, excited they are about their employer, uh, you know, some of it is really just the what's in it for me, you know, am I, do I have what I need to do my job, to understand what the job is, all those kinds of things. The second plane is what's my relationship with my direct supervisor, you know, do they tell me the truth, do they give me feedback, do they help me plan my career, are they fair with me and other people, those kinds of things. And then the third plane really is you know, uh, the leadership of the company. I think the leadership of this company knows what they're doing and fundamentally, are they taking us in the right direction? Are they administering it in an appropriate way? Those kinds of things. And so those three planes are, I think, the way most associates think about how engaged they are with the company. If you fail on any of those levels, it's hard to create excitement. But easily the most important component of those three is the direct supervisor relationship. You know, there's pretty compelling evidence that uh, for the most part, people leave managers, not companies, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, again, I think that idea of holding them accountable for, but, you, you know, when you think about those kinds of questions I just mentioned, you know, do I have, do I know what's expected of me at work? That's not hard. You know, you anybody could do that if they would, you know. I mean, do I have the tools that I need to do my job? We've bought banks over the years and, you know, I'll go in and try to do a listening session, listen to people people are all upsetting on fire because there's no copier on their floor. I'm thinking like, 
what? Put a copier over there. This isn't hard, you know. But just simple things like that, just to figure out what is it people need. It's not really rocket science. It's very easy and straightforward things. And so just the fact that you hold a manager accountable for it, it's easily done. It's easily done. Yeah. Yeah. We say often that it's common sense, but it's not common practice. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Terry, you told me something in the Inc. interview that really touched me, and I want you to put it in your own words, but I asked you to just kind of show me some examples of uh, love and action on display in your leadership style. And uh, you said that uh, the thing that you've witnessed to be the most powerful is to simply live life together with your associates. That's what I want to get into right now. I mean, what are some examples of that? Well, you know this, Marcel, everybody on this planet has got a lot of issues going on and some are really good and exciting and some are really hard and difficult. You know, your life's like that. Mine is, everybody's is. And so just that idea right there that if, if we can create this sense of family where we're all in it together, I am excited about what you're excited about. I'm excited when your kids graduate or, you know, make the all-star team or, you know, whatever it is, that is an exciting uh, thing for me. And similarly, you know, when your parents are in ill health or something disastrous happens to your child or whatever, then I'm concerned about that too, you know? And so I think it is that I, you know, this, there's a growing, I would say a growing emphasis on love in the workplace, but I think so many people view it to be like, okay, well, let's see, what's our initiative here? What are we going to do by when to love people? You know, I don't think it works like that. You know, it's more about just being in touch with people and whatever their life situation is and living it together. And like I say, celebrating the the things that are great and hurting with them when things aren't well. And, and you know, to your point, it's not just enough to sort of say, hey, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, there are a lot of things that would go on in our company where people are giving their money to help somebody who doesn't have enough money to bury their spouse or, you know, they're helping a grandparent who's having to adopt a child because of an unfit parent. Um, you know, it's just whatever life is, but people do, uh, if they genuinely care from the heart, it translates into actions. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. That's good. So I want to get into your leadership journey. Everybody has a journey. And, uh, and I'm sure that you've had personal or professional experiences, Terry, that kind of helped you inform your decision to build this company that's, you know, so focused on, on the culture and you've been rated a great place to work. Tell us about that. What was that, those experiences that led up to uh, you doing this? Well, that's a great question. I think in life, uh, I think it was Will Rogers said, everybody serves a useful purpose, even if it's just to be a bad example. So I've had some bad examples of where, you know, just in your progression through management change, you make some notes about, well, hey, I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to say that. If I get a turn, I'll do it this way, not that way, uh, and so forth. And I think I've uh, been involved in the banking business uh, for 35 years, so it's a service-oriented business. I've run most aspects of the business, but I did spend a lot of time in the retail end of the business, which is a consumer oriented business. And I think that's that's an area where you really crystallize customer service kinds of concepts, what works and what doesn't and, and those kinds of things. And so, uh, again, just in all those experiences, I had some great leaders that taught me great stuff. I had some leadership that wasn't so good that I also uh, learned from, but I came away with a number of key concepts. 
I think the first thing and most important thing in a service business is uh, that's not something you're going to train adults to do. You and I are who we are. You can check with the people that know us best. I mean, we're kind of set, you know, where we are who we are. And so if I'm not turned on by giving great customer service, it's not like you can put me through a three-day course that's now going to cause me to say, hey, awesome. I think I'm going to quit acting like I used to and start giving great service. Right. It's more about who you are, what your mother built into you, whatever the genetic background is. I don't, you know, but it, it gets set pretty early. And so this idea of of looking for people that have a heart to serve is an important aspect in our hiring philosophy that we're trying to capture because I don't think you're going to train people to be great servants. It's more uh, who they are and what they're turned on by and engaged by. That's an important concept here. Um, I've always believed you have to put something in it for people. I worked in an environment where we were really pushing and shoving for some uh, tall financial goals and there were incredible incentives for me and a handful of other people uh, that were at or near the top of that company, but we were just bumping and grinding, you know, 3,000 employees to get there, you know, and it just became apparent to me as I thought about that, boy, you know, fine, I I can come up here and work on Saturday because, man, I got this big reward out here I'm going to get, but boy, the rest of these people, they're not going to get that reward and we're just bumping and grinding them. And so it just became apparent if you can't put something in it for everybody, you can't get their hearts, you can't get their engagement, you can't get the maximum effort from them and so forth. So that's another uh, important concept that, again, just sort of in the trial of fire there in difficult situations, you come out and say, hey, you got to figure out a way to get something in it for everybody Hmm. uh, to get the best, best outcome. Mm, okay. So Terry, the term, the saying leading with love, you know, if, if you're a daycare center, I think that's just fine and dandy for that kind of environment, but you're in the banking industry and you're not going to throw loosely the term leading with love just anywhere. Right? So how do you reconcile leading with love with all of the systems and processes you have in, in a $25 billion bank? Yeah, I think maybe there are two or three things. In one of your earlier questions, I talked about this idea of granting everybody equity as an example. Right. Uh, that's a system, right? Uh, that's a system that's intended to involve people, capture hearts, motivate them in a common direction. What's cool about that is today, the value of the equity that's been granted by this company to its associates is about $400 million. So it's a lot of money. And people's lives have been changed by that. I mean, people tell me, hey, I'm going to be able to send my child to school or college or, you know, whatever uh, by virtue of that success. So that's a system that I believe is a compassionate system and a great one. We we haven't talked so much about it here today, but we we include 100% of our associates in annual cash incentives. There might be a bank that does that, but I've not encountered them yet. I've not come across them yet. And so what we do in in that goal, we paid uh, about $25 million last year in annual cash incentives to the associates uh, of this firm. And I'm telling you, I've had people with tears in their eyes saying, Terry, in all my career, I've never had this kind of, you know, cash incentive. And the way we earn that cash incentive is based on corporate results not based on how well I hit my scorecard and how well you hit your scorecard. It's how well we hit our scorecard. And so it's just a powerful thing, again, that bonds people together, has them pulling in the same direction, has them rooting for each other, 
uh, and those kinds of things. So those are systems, in my opinion. I mean, there are probably others, but those are a couple of systems that are engineered to, you know, create an environment that's got some compassion and camaraderie and those those kinds of things in it. I wouldn't underestimate, and you know, then the basis for your original question was, hey, you're in the banking business, you know, throwing the term love around is not very common. Uh, I would say it is common in this company. I mean, it's a thing that we talk about openly. I mean, I do, other leaders do, people in the company talk about it with great uh, frequency. And, and you might imagine, so we've been a fast growth company and you can imagine we started with 34 associates. Everybody's tight. We're growing pretty fast. Every time we do a work environment survey, there are lots of warnings in here that basically say, Terry, don't grow too fast. You're going to lose what we've got here. You know, we've got this great culture. Don't mess it up. And so, you know, as we've grown every year, you know, you keep getting these things. The work environment scores are high, but there's always this apprehension of, hey, we're going to mess this thing up if we get too big. Every acquisition, you can hear the size go up. Oh, you know, this is it. I guess we've lost our ability to have this great culture. And so when I talk to people about it, I say, look, We've got things like incentive plans and equity plans. We've got all this stuff that's intended to, to make this a great place to work. But you and I both know what makes this a great place to work is how well you love each other. <laughs> Do you pick the phone up and help that person when they need help, either personally or on this business issue? You know, that that's what makes the place a great place to work. It's so much about how well we love each other, not... What kind of system is Terry running up there? What you know? What kind of thing have we put in place to control something? It's just more about how we interact with each other personally and professionally. Mm, that is so powerful. So let's talk about the, that culture because so much of Pinnacle's focus is on the people and, and that's what makes up the culture. So tell me about how that directly impacts your clients. Well, yeah, there was a book written by Joel Manby called Love Works. Yeah, And uh, in that book, he makes the point that you can't get the client experience to exceed that of the associate experience. You know, it's just hard for us to come in here and treat all our associates like dogs and have them run out and give unparalleled service. You know, I mean, that's just probably not going to happen. And and so we have believed that the equation and, and uh, works this way, that it begins with, can you get that associate experience right? Because if you can't, you can't get the client experience right. And if you can't get that right, shareholders don't win. And so in all our strategic planning and all our decision making, we'll always walk through that three-pronged deal there to figure out, okay, how's this going to work for associates? How's it going to impact the clients? And ultimately, how do we make money at it? So that that's sort of the progression. Any business that's, you know, we're capitalists here. We got to produce a return for shareholders, but it is a sincere belief that you have to travel that path to get there through mm-hmm. the associates, then the clients and, and so forth. Um, if you go back to what I was talking about before on making sure you hire people that have a heart to serve, you know, if you fill your company up with people that have a heart to serve, they serve each other, but they serve clients too. So that's really, I think, been the most important thing is just who we hire uh, in this company. But we do a lot of other things to your next question, which was about what kind of systems do you have that support this stuff? One of the things we have, we call it a wow budget. And what that is, it's money that can be spent to wow uh, a client. And we don't put any guidelines out. We don't script. We don't tell anybody, hey, this is the way you wow somebody. This is the thing you do. 
what we do is hire people that have a heart to serve and turn them loose and say, hey, if you think you need to get somebody a bottle of wine, here's an account. You just charge that account and get it to them. And the stories, I mean, literally, I could tell stories that have tears rolling down your cheeks that one of our offices uh, had a client who was going to adopt a baby in China. Um, they uh, got called early that they needed to go get the baby, so there was no time for a baby shower. So that office put together their own shower, and they uh, had gifts and actually had gone out to the client's uh, website to see some designs of a nursery, and they painted a desk that matched that nursery. And, you know, they used that wow budget to get that stuff paid for. But those people are clients for life. But beyond that, I mean, that's a cool thing. They're clients for life. But, man, I turned on are the clients. I turned on are our people by all, you know, all that experience. So, again, that's a, this idea of trying to combine people that have a heart to serve and support them with systems that really yeah. free them up to serve clients. Hey, that's great. And not only that, but that's another side of ownership because you empower your employees to, and you give them the freedom to own up to their, their decisions, to make, right. to be able to use their brain basically, Terry, right. To right. make those decisions on behalf of the client. Right. Uh, and not having to go through the, all the red tape to, uh, to get approval on something. Right. That's right. But, you know, one of the things we tell people is, look, just act like it's your money. Does it make sense to you? Is that an appropriate amount to spend? If it is, spend it. And I've never heard of anybody doing anything that didn't make sense to me. Again, we're not reviewing it in detail, but my guess is if somebody did something flagrant, it'd find its way to the top. I never hear any of that stuff. People just, they do have common sense about, hey, this is an appropriate way for me to show I care about this person, you know. Right. And I think that goes back to the values again, because you are, you have a, a shared set of beliefs and values by which, you know, employees know they are accountable to behaving and belonging based on these values. Right. Um, so I want to transition to the investors side of the business. So how do you have these conversations with, with investors and, and talk about things like culture and uh, dare I even say that the words love and care even come up in these conversations with investors. What do these conversations look like? Well, so just by way of background, one, the conversations are frequent. We meet with uh, investors uh, with great frequency. We go to conferences where, you know, we might speak to 30 investors over a two-day period of time, generally in one-on-one or two-on-one sessions and so forth. My experience with that is that's no different than talking to um, clients or talking to associates in that everybody's different, you know? And so when you talk to investors, there's no doubt, sometimes when I start trying to walk people down through a work environment survey and what our attention rate is, I can see the eyes sort of glaze over like, you know, hey, you're making me tired. I want to talk about what the you know, return on assets is or something like that. And so, you know, we'll move along, talk about what they what they want to talk about. But there are a lot of uh, investors that uh, have made the connection. I think early, uh, they might have viewed it to be fluff, but over the years, they've seen the workplace awards and they've seen the financial performance of the company. And I think uh, we do have a large following that say, hey, there's something different going on there. Uh, mm-hmm. And they are interested in how we onboard people and how we orient people and how we explain the values and how we, you know, propel the culture and those kinds of things. Mm. Terry, how has this experience of building a company based on caring and love affected you personally? Man, that's a great question. 
I would say for me personally, I'm more soft, more caring in a genuine way than I've ever been. Uh, I wouldn't attribute all of that to the experience in building this company. A lot of it comes out of my personal faith, but you know, it is a life journey that, you know, keeps punching you and moving you and forming you and so forth. And, um, so, uh, again, I just find myself uh, sort of a more genuine commitment than ever to make sure that we're loving people and looking after people. Mm-hmm. Terry, I want to get your impressions. You know, uh, we still live in a, in a society where I would say the majority of, uh, of leaders in the corporate world still lead by fear. Uh, why do you think that's the case instead of care and love when the evidence is so clear that it leads to high performance? Yeah, I think there are two reasons. One is I think that's sort of a legacy, right? I mean, I I was born in uh, 1955. My dad grew up in an era where it was a command and control environment. You know, he served in World War II. He served in the Korean War. He worked for a a company that was a unionized company. And so, I mean, it's just a command and control world. That's the way they saw the world. Therefore, that's the way I was raised. And so there are a lot of us still around that are my age that sort of came out of that environment where the assumption is, hey, just the best way to do this is you just pound people. If they don't do what you say, you fire them and get somebody who will. You know, that's mindset. But I think to to your point, anybody that will slow down and look at the data, uh, it's overwhelmingly compelling that you will produce a better financial outcome. Your shares will perform better. You will have greater sales productivity. You will have less turnover if you'll build an environment where associates are excited and engaged, you know, where there's this strong sense of trust between the associate and the company, you know, you will produce those uh, substantially better outcomes. So I think that's one reason. It's just the heritage where people haven't been able to cross over from the way they were raised to that. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing, if I could say it is, you know this, it's probably easier for me just to say, Marcel, do it. than it is for me to wade in here and get dirty with whatever's eating at you and whatever your issues are and how we're going to get you taken care of and all those things, you know, it's just easier to just command and control. So I think that's one of the reasons people stick with it. Yeah. It's, it's easy to say it's hard to do, especially if you've come from generation after generation of what we've been taught that it's command and control. It's top down, do as I say. So, I want to ask you, what would you say to a uh, an executive of, you know, of maybe a, a startup of 50 employees or they're going through an inflection point and they're growing exponentially and they're losing people because of command and control. People are not valued. Now, let's simplify here so that we don't overwhelm any listeners that are like in that moment where they're wondering man, what's the, what's the first step? How do, I, how do I change this around? What would you say is just one simple step that they can take to move from fear-based, micromanagement, command and control to, I'm going to care about my employees. Here's how to do it. Yeah, I'm going to give you an answer that I think uh, will probably sound odd to you, but if, if you just got to get started somewhere, I would go to the research mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. study is this, does this stuff really work? Can I get to a point where I'm willing to take that leap that by spending the time and the money and the effort on these associate engagement issues that I'm in fact going to produce a greater financial outcome 
and you know drive up my client service and do, do all those kinds of things. The reason I say start there is because you can't fake it. Yeah. It, you know, it's a fool's errand to just say, okay, well, I heard Marcel say this, therefore I'm going to do it. You'll burn out because there'll be times where you're thinking, boy, you know, really, I wish I could just go on and do this, but I got to slow down and get this person taken care of or get this issue dealt with here before, you, you know, the organization can move on. And so I guess what I'm really trying to say is I would spend the time and invest the time to develop a genuine and firm commitment to it before you launch, as opposed to start saying, okay, let me build my initiative list of what the things that I'm going to do to create this great work environment. Yeah. Leaders are wired differently. Sometimes uh, shifting a mindset is uh, not so much about hearing enough touchy-feely stories, but it's following the evidence. And that takes logic and reason to look at what the data is saying. So right. I love that. I love that to your point. Um, okay. I want to transition and take a completely different turn here. W- what I usually do is you know, after we've talked about the business and the culture and the leadership, it's just to kind of wind down a little bit and uh, and have some fun. So if you're not watching the video, Terry's got a suit on, he's got a tie on, he's in his best corporate attire. So Terry, I'm going to ask you to just kind of loosen the tie. You don't have to do it literally, <laughs> but, uh, but let your hair down a little bit. We're going to do a speed round of fun questions about you, the person. So you ready for the speed round? Ready to go. All right, here we go. What book are you reading right now that you would recommend? The book I've read most recently is uh, called Sacred Marriage. Oh. by a guy named Gary Thomas. Fabulous book on uh, really what's the purpose of marriage and how to have a great one. Is there a book that you know you should have read, but you just haven't gotten around to it yet? Uh, I, I can't name that. I do generally have a stack of books that uh, that I'm working toward, but uh, I don't have anything that I'm like, man, I should have gotten to that. I mean, all the great classics. I I am a big reader. I've read uh, all kinds of business books. I love history, American history, and uh, a lot of personal development books, Christian books, those kinds of things. So those are the three categories I generally read in. But there's been a time when I go, it's not fun to go to the bookstore because I've read most everything that I'm interested in on the bookshelf sometimes. So, uh, Anyway, I don't have a list of things like I should have read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, Gotcha. Who is your hero? I don't know. Boy, that's a hard question. I'm I'm a student of history. I got lots of historical people that I admire. I'd put Abraham Lincoln high on the list. Okay. George Washington high on the list. I'd put John Adams high on the list. Those are uh, historical heroes. Uh, In my life, um, you know, I would say my wife is my hero. Uh, I guess heroin's the technical term, but we're high school sweethearts and sort of have lived life together, been through the highs and the lows, the hard and the easy. And uh, man, she just, uh, her, her depth of character is different than every person I know. That's awesome. Terry, can I ask you how long you've been married? I've been married 42 years. Fantastic. Congratulations on that. Thank you. What is at the top of your bucket list? Well, at the top of my bucket list right now is to get to Asia. Uh-huh. And, uh, so um, here, I guess in two weeks, I'm going to uh, Tokyo, Kyoto, Beijing, and Hong Kong. Love it. Yeah. Okay. What's something not too many people know about you? Well, people might not understand. I was a younger brother uh, growing up. I would say that's a 
major impact on uh, life. I had a brother who was a very uh, smart and capable student and a great athlete. And so to to always be number two uh, as a compelling uh, driving force turns you into a very competitive person. How do I figure out how to, you know, match that, achieve that? And so uh, I would say that's been a major uh, driving force in my life. I'm yeah. a very competitive person. Excellent. Favorite movie or TV show? Favorite movie is probably Braveheart. Love it. Yeah. Terry, you are officially off the speed round hot seat. So <laughs> thank you for that. All right. I want to transition to some closing questions and, uh, and give you a chance to kind of air out and get into your heart and speak your mind. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like our listeners to know? I think, you know, again, there, there's so many levels to answer that question on. I, I think personally, I'm in a position where I've got two married daughters and four grandchildren and one on the way. Boy, their lives and their situations, they're good situations, but man, that's what I care about. That's, uh, you know, I mentioned this idea of hurting when people hurt and celebrating when they celebrate. There's lots of opportunities to do both of those things in those families. And so I don't think anything pulls at my heart uh, right now, like my wife and my kids and grandkids and, and uh, those kinds of things. Um, you know, I think on a, uh, you know, on a broader plane, uh, one of the things I've really gotten excited about, and I, I don't want to over-spiritualize here, but I, I mentioned several times going down through here, I'm at a point where my uh, Christian faith is really important to me. I just feel like Christ has done so much in my life. I'm at a different point where I feel compelled to say that and make sure people know that and introduce them to that. That's a thing that's on, on my mind and uh, pushing me and driving me right now. So That's great. I appreciate you sharing that, uh, yeah. Terry. I want to throw Pinnacle some love and go back to the business a little bit and just talk about is it, what would you like listeners to know on the business side, what's that Pinnacle may be working on as far as products or services that you'd like people to know? Yeah, what what I want people to know about Pinnacle is that we're we will invest whatever energy, whatever money is necessary to make sure that the products and services that we have are at a minimum on par with whoever the best financial services providers are. That's not the game for us. What's different about us is day in, day out, we're gonna care about our clients and look after them in a real and genuine way. Um I go back to the recession, 2008 to 2012, man, that was a difficult time for everybody. It's particularly difficult for banks. And uh, if you were a, a bank that made loans in commercial real estate space in that era, there was no place to hide. You know, it was a difficult time. You had losses and all those kinds of things. But uh, one of the things that I take great pride in that I think separates this company from others is that coming through that difficult time, we lost roughly $170 million uh, in loan losses during that period of time. But it, the Greenwich Associates Research, which I think is probably the standard of research for commercial banks, would say that in our markets, we have the best, by far the best reputation for valuing long-term relationships. And so to get through the recession, to get through those difficult financial times and have our clients say that company cares about their long-term relationships, uh, that's the thing that distinguishes us from most of these other uh, institutions. Yeah, it's sort of a conscious capitalism approach to how you do business. Exactly. Terry, I'm going to give you a chance to end the interview your way. 
however you want. Maybe have a, a mic drop moment if you have one. But what would you like people to absolutely walk away with from this conversation? What I hope folks will do is get in the game, set out to be famous. I always talk to our associates about trying to be famous. And, you know, a lot of people recall at that. It conjures up this image of uh, an egomaniac or a hot dog. That's not it. What I try to get people to do is get excited about being so inarguably good at what you do that everybody knows you're the best. And so, again, I hope whatever uh, people's call in life is, whatever their job is, whatever they're doing, they'll get excited about being so inarguably good at it that everybody knows they're the best. Mm. So we'll end on that note. And it's been an honor to finally sit down with you and uh, continue the conversation that we started on print over at Inc. And here we are. It's, it, may, it, you know, it, it brings it home for me, hearing it in your own voice, what I already have known to be true about you it's been great to chat with you and I uh, wish you all the best and uh, with Pinnacle. And I know that uh, you guys will continue to grow as you are. I mean, you guys are blowing up. I've read up on you and I've done my research on you uh, and uh, great things are still coming. You're right. Uh, thank you so much. It's great to talk to you, Marcel. Yeah. So that's Terry Turner, CEO of Pinnacle Financial Partners. Stick around as I always do. I'm going to have my three takeaways from this awesome conversation and also offer you one final comment and you'll hear that after this short message there's a dramatic shift taking place in workplaces around the world it's a rapidly growing movement called the humans first club change is happening bigger and faster than any time in history for business to flourish through this dynamic time it's time to trash the old school command and control mindset and put people at the center of business it's time to put humans first live events with the growing online community is driving change throughout the globe it's time for your voice your ideas for a brighter future join us now at humansfirst.club That's humansfirst.club. Your time has come. You belong here. So here are my three takeaways from this great conversation. You know, like most leaders, Terry didn't just become a great leader. I mean, he made lots of mistakes. He did some pretty bad things, but he learned from the best. And while building Pinnacle from the ground up, great customer service he found doesn't come from a classroom. It's about who you are. And he said, (laughs) what your mother built into you. Shout out to all the moms out there who did their part in raising good sons and daughters to become great leaders. And he said, this is the makeup of people that Pinnacle looks for in their hiring process. Someone with the heart to serve. Another great takeaway for me was this. The thing that uh, Terry has witnessed to be the most powerful is just to simply live life with his associates. So when people are excited about an event in their lives, well, Terry gets excited about it. It's being in touch with people and living life together and celebrating the things that are great and hurting and grieving with them when things are not going so great. And how cool is this? For my last takeaway, Pinnacle gives people ownership of Pinnacle stock on an employee's very first day and then cash incentives after that. And people's lives have been changed because of this. You know, associates are like sending their children to college. And people are coming to Terry with tears of joy saying, we've never experienced this kind of 
cash incentive in our lives in any company. And the best part, the way they earn those cash incentives is through the company's financial performance, not through whether I hit my numbers, like so many companies do, you know, to pit people against each other in these toxic competitive environments. At Pinnacle, they're all pulling in the same direction and rooting for each other. This is love in action. So thanks for listening. If this episode touched you in any way, will you do us a favor? Please subscribe, leave a rating and a comment and help us to carry this movement forward to value humans first in business and in the workplace. I want to thank Terry Turner for joining me and thanks to Joe Bass for his support in setting up this interview. On behalf of my team at One Stone Creative, check them out. Thank you, ladies. I'm Marcel Schwantes. I hope you're joining me next week when I sit down and chat with Ashley Goodall, leadership expert and executive at Cisco and co-author of the best-selling book, Nine Lies About Work. See you then. Thanks for joining us on the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed this show and want to help get the word out, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.